Good morning, uh, Lakeshore family. What a delight to be with you this morning. Hey, just the other day, uh, my wife uh, went over to her mom and dad's house who live right here in town and her desire, her intent was to take mom and dad out to a bit of lunch. But as she went into mom and dad's house, she quickly worked out that uh, dad uh, didn't look so well. So she said, dad, how, how you feeling? And he had made mention that you know, his back wasn't uh, so well. And uh, she said, uh, well, dad, are you taking anything uh, for the back? And this was his response, and I quote, he goes, yeah, I'm taking the word of God, and I talk to God about it, and he takes care of me. I mean, you talk about a microphone drop from Mr. Phil Alvarez, that was one, but he is a wise man, and those words are very wise. And as a matter of fact, when you couple the word of God and prayer, they always go together. That's exactly what he did. It's one of the many legacies of uh, my father-in-law, Phil Alvarez. He's a guy that goes to God first in all things, even in his time of trouble. But we are living uh, in times of trouble. Obviously, there has been a significant amount, a heightened amount of tension between law enforcement and the community. Uh, protests continue to be a daily part of our lives. There have been peaceful protests that have effectively shined a light on darkness, there, there needed to be light on that darkness. And there's been protests that have gotten completely out of control, where stores are looted and buildings are burnt down, and that's ugly. Of course, all of this just throws more gasoline on a fire that was burning, uh, raging, uh, without any additional help. And then on top of all of this, there's still this COVID-19, and COVID-19's been with us for a long time. Uh, some people, as they express their views about COVID-19, they may come to this conclusion that it's, it's a conspiracy. Others think, you know, it's a bad flu. Others are extremely fearful of COVID-19, you know, thinking that it could be the very thing that could take them out, it, it could kill them. And there's others just playing the long game. It's kind of the wait and see. They're not exactly sure about this COVID-19, but they're not gonna take any chances until a cure is found. I guess it'd be safe to say that the opinions on COVID-19 are completely all over the place. But we are living in times of trouble. And that's the reason for my sermon title this morning. Uh, it's called this, Honoring Christ in Times of Trouble. Our text is gonna be found out of Romans 12, verses nine through 21. But we're gonna start off uh, this morning by just reading verses nine through 13 and then we will go through the verses and then continue on and we'll read the remaining verses at a later time. So if you have a Bible, would you please head on over to Romans 12 verses nine through 13 and I'll be reading out of the CSB translation. Here's what God's word says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality. You know, the verses that I just read to you or we read together are the believer's instructions, the Christian's instructions on how to love those 
in the church. So again, this is a family conversation, a church conversation for Lakeshore City Church. So how do we love those in the church? Now the remaining verses that I did not read, these are instructions on how to love people in the world. Okay, so uh, two different categories here, loving those in the church and then loving those in the world. So we're going to focus uh, for these next few minutes on how to love those in the church and why doing this, loving those in the church in times of trouble, will honor Christ and bring down barriers that divide. So let's talk about this, how to love in the church. How can you love your church family? Hey, verse nine starts giving us some clues on how to do this. What does it say? It says, let love be without hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy means an actor who is wearing a mask. It means to be fake. It's to be phony baloney. That's what that means. So Paul is emphatically saying here in the text, hey, let the love that goes forth in the church, let love that goes forth in Lakeshore City Church, let it be a real love, not a phony, not a phony love, not a fake love. But here's a question. Why do people wear masks in the church? Why are people uh, being fake? You know, that happens from time to time. Before, uh, before we even answer that question, let's try to be sympathetic for just a second. You know, some would say the reason why I don't take my mask off is because I'm afraid to be real with somebody. I really don't want anybody to see the way I really am. Maybe they won't love me or like me or accept me. Uh, maybe... Um, if I take my mask off, you'll see some things and I won't fit in. If I come clean and share with you what I'm really thinking or where I stand on certain issues, you may not want to be close to me. So sometimes it's fear, but the Word of God tells us that we are not to be fake, that we are to be real and to love genuinely. You know, that word love that's in that verse there, this is the word, the word for, the word here is agape. Love, agape, that's the word. In this context, what it means is to, is to give a godlike love to one another that is going to love regardless of circumstances. This is a deliberate love. This is a good love. It's a deliberate love, a love that's going to keep on loving. We're going to keep loving one another even if you are rejected. You know, sometimes we love those who love us back, but according to this text, we're to love those even when they reject us or we, we can't seem to get eye to eye on certain things. So that's what that means. You see, to love without hypocrisy is a command. This is an imperative in the text that's interesting. And the verse continues with two more commands, a total of three here. And here's another command. Detest evil, so Lakeshore Church family, detest evil. In other words, hate evil. This means literally be horrified at evil. And then it says, cling to what is good. Or in other words, love what is good. So in this same sentence that we're looking at, we are told to hate and love in the same sentence. Kind of interesting, isn't it? We're to, we're to hate evil, but yet we're to love what is good. So what is the point? Of something like this. Well, God is going to show us, you and I, what to love and how to love. Look at verse 10. It says, love one another deeply, deeply. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. So again, 
the Lord, or Paul in this context, of course, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is showing us what to love and how to love. So he says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. So obviously, if I was talking to Carol or Carl Rowe, or if I was uh, talking to Evan Evans or Carl, Kevin Cloward or uh, one of the elders, I mean, those are easy people to love. Uh, but the Lord is telling us here, the Holy Spirit is telling us here, the Word of God is telling us here that we are to love one another, those in our community, in this context, deeply, with affection. Love our brothers and sisters. So to love deeply, it starts with a decision to compassionately and righteously seek the well-being of others. In other words, the people you're dealing with in the community of faith, in the church, these are your family. They may not be blood family, they may not be kin, but they're your family. The church family is a family. And brothers and sisters are to love one another deeply. You know, God has shown us, uh, according to the text, God has shown us what to love, and now he's going to teach us how to love. Look at verse 10b, if you will. Take the lead, again, how to love. He's telling us to do this. Hey, take the lead, Lakeshore family, in honoring one another. He continues in verse 11. Hey, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Hey, there was a lot in those verses, wasn't there? If we just were to break down just some of the things in those verses, again, he's teaching us how to love, how to do it. He's saying, here's a few things. He's saying, um, I want you, you can show love in the gospel community, in the church community at Lakeshore. You can love, I want you to honor one another. That's how you can do that. I want you to honor one another. The ESV translation says it even better. It says, hey, outdo one another in showing honor. That's a pretty big task. We, we should not just gloss over that. Showing honor is a big deal in the local church. Uh, what about this one? You may have seen it. Share and meet each other's needs. Meet each other's needs. Share what you have. Be generous. Um, there, here's one. Pursue hospitality. Notice it's just not hospitality. It's to pursue it. Go get it. Some people think, well, I'm only going to connect with people that I click with. Not according to this verse. Pursue. Go get it. Bring people in. Go grab them. Notice it's to pursue, to go get it. It says to be patient in affliction. We're to be patient with one another. How you doing on your list so far, right? And here's another one. I can't even get through all of them. Be persistent in praying for each other. These are some of the things that God's saying, I want to see you do this in this, this church community. But I want us just to pause for just a moment. Let us just take a breather and slow way, way down. According to this text, the heading in your Bible might even say this, these are the marks of a mature believer, or these are the marks of a true Christian. This is the expectation of those who are in Christ. You see, the true Christian, they will love you even in troubled times. The true, the true Christian is committed to the body. They're committed to unity 
in the body. They are never looking to divide or to be divisive. You know why that is? Because they're others-centered. They're always thinking about others. And one of the important doctrines in the church should be the unity in the church. And they're about that. But what would happen if, if, if we would take these instructions? What would happen if you and I, your pastor included, the entire church, if we took the instructions that were just given to us, that we just got done reading, and we actually obeyed what it says? What would happen? Do you think it would change the way that we showed up for one another? Do you think it would change the way we interact with one another, the way that we talk with one another? Uh, would one of your brothers see something or has a different viewpoint to you on something? Do you think that it would cause, uh, cause you to, to love them in a greater way if you obeyed this text? Could you or would you be open to being a bit more patient with your brother and sister? You probably would, right? Because you'd be honoring the Lord. Would you, would you be open? Just by the verses I've read this morning, would you be open to outdoing your brother and sister? Would you be open to outdoing your brother and sister in honor? Would you be open to doing that? Would you be open rather than taking your thoughts that... It got you all wound up. You know, things are kind of driving you crazy. There's a lot of things that are going on in the world that are driving me crazy. They're probably driving you crazy too. But, but would you be open to taking your thoughts rather than to social media? Would you be open to taking your thoughts to the word of God or being persistent in prayer? Because that's what it's asking us to do. I'm giving you a practical illustration, but this changes things is my point. It changes the way that we see things. It changes the way that we interact when we obey. You see, sometimes when it comes to our lives, um, our mouth can be the problem. You know what I'm talking about? You're probably sitting next to somebody right now and you're going, yeah, he's talking about you. But maybe I'm talking about you. Maybe I'm talking about myself. I mean, maybe we're all in this together. But if your mouth is the problem, then you need to learn how to manage your mouth. We manage a lot of things. We do need to manage our mouths. And here's the good news. God will help us. God will help us manage our mouth if the mouth is the problem. You want to know why? Because we are a new creature in Christ. God has saved us and redeemed us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will give us grace when we come to him in need. Let me give you a practical application, or at least bring it down to street level for a second, so this would really uh, be clear for you. Brothers and sisters, in your times of trouble or distress or irritation, whatever is frustrating you, before you take action on social media or go talk to others, before you say or do anything, you should talk to God. Brothers and sisters, we need to check in with him, God, so that God can guard your heart. He can guide your words. Let me say that again. We want to check in with God so that he can guide our hearts and he can, so that we, he can guide our heart and guide our words. It's so important. You see, it's good counsel because it's God's counsel. Now let's look at the remaining verses and see how the Christian can love God the world. Now, the remaining verses here are how the Christian is to love 
the world. Let's read verses 14 through 21. It says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought. Let me say that again. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Last verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. You see, these verses, as I've shared with you, they're instructing us. They're instructing the Christian how to love those who are hostile to us. I don't know if you figured this out, but sometimes it's hard enough to love people in the church, and now Jesus has taken this thing to a whole nother level. He's saying, get out there and be my ambassador's church, Christian, and love. Go give agape love. Go love your enemies. You may have noticed that many people who need love, they're not exactly lovable. Have you noticed that, brothers and sisters? You see, in order to do such a thing, to love the unlovable, to love those who are your enemies, it's going to take uh, what one would call a superpower. You have a superpower if you're in Christ. You know what it is? You have the Holy Spirit that dwells in your heart. You've got Christ. You've been redeemed. But you don't obey God if you start seeing yourself superior than others. You're never going to obey God when you get haughty or prideful. That's all over the text here, right? So we have to see ourselves. We have to be reminded constantly of the grace that was extended to us. You see, to be more clear, if you're in Christ, there was a time where you were once God's enemy, but God by his grace has forgiven you. This should help all of us to understand that God can save yet another enemy. You were once his enemy, but you've been reconciled to him. So God can save those that we would call enemies. And here's the good news. He may in fact he might use you in part that he might use you to play a role in the redemption plan. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. Bless those, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, and live in harmony with one another. I want you to imagine just for a moment in the context of Lakeshore City Church for a moment. I want you to think about those in law enforcement, our police officers, there are many of them. I want you to think about one of our police officers who's out in the streets right now. Right now, during this particular time in history, it's kind of crazy out there. And as this police officer that you know, who loves Jesus Christ, who's leading his family, he's out there and a mob of people start screaming at him or yelling at him and, and yelling obscenities to him. 
uh, this same mob is yelling, making foolish claims, things that are not true. Not only would that be hurtful to you, imagine what it feels like to the person who's actually, uh, you know, all these words are landing on him. He's out in the middle of it, if you will. But God is asking us, is asking the police officer in this context to bless those who are hurling insults and saying things that are not true. The Bible says, bless those who persecute you. This is crazy, but this is what God's word says. He, and we have to ask ourselves, well, how in the world can this happen? This is not nature for us to want to bless someone who's persecuting us. No, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It can only happen to those who have been transformed in their inner nature, you see. But what are we supposed to do? What would a police officer do? There's lots of things that, that he or she can do. But one of the things is, is to stop and pray for those who are persecuting us. That is one of the characteristics of a believer. A true Christian will pray for those who persecute them, will pray for their enemies. Brothers and sisters, if you, if you know your Bible, you'll be reminded about something. Christ, Jesus Christ, as he was on that cross, he prayed for those who killed him. Later, and we say that, we go, okay, well, that was Jesus, and I'm no Jesus, but that, that's what God, he's father, you know, uh, the father, you know, and, and the son, if you will, right? That's, that's, that's two members of the Godhead. I'm not even close to that, right? But listen, I don't want to let you off the hook here. Number one, the word of God says it, but what about Stephen? Stephen wasn't God. But Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, what was he doing? He was praying for those who persecuted him. That's what Stephen did. He prayed for those who were persecuting him. And it goes to show that not just perfect people can pray for those that are persecuting us, talking about Christ. Even Stephen did. He prayed for the greatest good of those who were persecuting him. He wasn't just praying. He was praying for their good. He was praying for God to, to do something good in their lives. Uh, remember this, Jesus, uh, in, in uh, these words, forgive them, Father, forgive them, in Luke 23, 34. Or what about this one? Don't hold their sin against them, Acts 7, verse 16. Brothers and sisters, we must trust that as we pray for those who persecute us, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God will start working on the lives of those who persecute us. The opposite of this is to seek revenge. In the context, in the text here, it says to seek revenge or to curse. That's what this means. But I don't think many of us understand properly this word curse and what it actually means. Uh, you are, when, when you want to curse somebody, you are virtually invoking God's judgment on another person. You see, brothers and sisters, when we use words like, uh, damn you, those are heavy, heavy words. Damn you. You know what that means? You're actually asking. You're asking God to send the person you have cursed to hell forever. 
That's not good. You know, what's being displayed there or being modeled there, it's saying something about your heart and your condition. It's saying that you are angry. It's saying that you don't care about anybody. It's saying that I don't care about this person. I just want them to suffer the torments of hell and have the full weight of God's wrath come crashing down on them. Wow. Imagine if God did that to us. But by God's grace, he lifts us up out of the mud and miry. By God's grace, he gives us mercy and grace. All those who would go into his presence, the throne room of grace. Oh, brothers and sisters, we must not curse or damn anyone. This is foolish talk. This is reckless talk. Brothers and sisters, according to the text, we are to weep with those that weep. Even if they do not belong to our tribe. You see, we often think, you know, well, God just wants us to weep with those in our own community. He wants us to weep with those in the church. Of course he wants us to do that. But you know, in this text, he's saying, I also want you to weep with those in the world. You see, the world should see something different in me and you. They should see compassion. They should see somebody that's understanding a whole heck of a lot like we learned last week, the sympathetic great high priest. That's what God's calling us to. And, and how much more so, how much more so should we be a people who weep with those who weep in the church? That should be happening early and often and consistently. And we should be doing that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, let's, you and I, church family, let's examine the word of God uh, for instruction. Let's take our cues from the Word of God. Look at verse 16 and 17. What does it say? Do not be proud. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Okay, associate with the humble. What about continuing in verse 16? Do not be wise in your own estimation. Sometimes we, we're not really wise, but we think we're wise. Okay, and then it says in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Brothers and sisters, the superpower that the believer has, the superpower that you and I possess, is that we have been redeemed. You and I have been saved by grace. And in doing so, the gospel literally transforms our hearts. And because of that, we no longer pursue revenge or vengeance because we know that God is going to settle things either this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity, but God is going to handle. Look at verse 19. It says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, in other words, don't do this. Instead, do this. Leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, worldly persecution, uh, it's going to happen. It could be happening to you right now. I, I'd be honest with you, I feel a tremendous amount of persecution these days. It hasn't been a good couple of weeks. We're feeling it. Now, we know God is with us, but I have to remind myself and I'll remind you that persecution isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. 
God is doing something in it. Your faith is being tested because a faith that can't be tested cannot be trusted. It is the testing of one's faith. It is the testing of the faith, of your faith, and the perseverance of that faith that proves that you actually belong to God. You see, according to God's word, only the true believers are going to finish the race. God's going to help you. And not only is God going to help you, your church family is going to help you. Did you know that? They help to strengthen you and encourage you and exhort you. They are there for you. That's what the gospel community looks like. But look at verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, Christian, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head, your enemy's head. I think the best example of trusting God with our enemies is actually found in the Old Testament. As we see something there, we see an exchange between David and Saul after David had been so close to Saul in that cave, remember that, that he actually literally cut a corner off of the king's robe, meaning Saul. But he cut the corner off that robe. Uh, but for conscience sake, uh, David, even though he had the opportunity, he would not lift his hand against Saul, the very man who was persecuting him. Saul was trying to kill him. Saul was trying to take David's life. But I want you to listen to David's words after the king had gone out from the cave. Again, listen to these words. I get this from Kent Hughes, the preaching the word commentary. commentary. Listen to these words. After that, David got up and he went out of the cave and he called to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David knelt low with his face to the ground and he paid homage. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of the people who say, look, David intends to harm you? You can see with your own eyes, Saul, that the Lord handed you over to me today in the cave. Someone advised me to kill you, Saul, but I took pity on you and said, I won't lift my hand against my Lord since he is the Lord's anointing. Look, my father, look at the corner of your robe that's in my hand, for I cut it off, but I did not kill you. Recognize that I have committed no crime or rebellion. I haven't sinned against you, even though you were hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord take vengeance on you for me. But my hand will never be against you. As the old proverb says, wickedness comes from wicked people. My hand will never be against you. I quote 1 Samuel 24, verses 8 through 13. R. Kent Hughes uh, continues. He says, the coals of fire were heaped on Saul's head. And, and, and then we are to take heed here. We're to step back and observe the magnificent effect of this. Again, I read. As soon as David finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, 
you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day, you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you, David, for good, for what you have done to me on this day. And I quote 1 Samuel 24, verses 16 through 19. Sadly, brothers and sisters, Saul never did open himself up for God's grace, but he sure in the heck could have done so if he would have called upon the Lord. The coals, the kindness that was extended by David to Saul, they were meant to be a prelude of blessing for him. This was a gift that was extended to Saul, but Saul never opened up that gift. He left the gift that was given to him by David and ultimately by God, he left it unopened. How sad it is when we're given gifts by God and we don't open up the gift that we have, that, we, that he's given to us. The final verse uh, before us this morning actually summarizes everything beautifully. It's found in verse 21. It says, do not be conquered by evil but conquer evil with good, Romans 12, 21. It is likely that not many of you have a list of people that are your enemies, at least that you've written down, but I would suspect uh, there's more than a few that have a, have a pretty good list of difficult people that you deal with on a regular basis. Uh, I would suspect that many of those difficult people, uh, they've disappointed you in some way. Uh, some of them, uh, maybe they see COVID-19 completely different than you. Maybe some of these difficult people, they, 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 they vote differently than you. Some of those uh, on the difficult list, they, they just don't seem to get it as it pertains to race and justice. And they just see things so different than you that you think they're on another planet. But based on everything that you heard today from the Word of God, let me ask you a direct question and just really process this for just a moment. How did you personally, how did you personally experience the text this morning? It's a question that I ask myself anytime that I get ready to preach. Dr. Wilson taught me to do that and it's helpful because I need to experience the text. How did you experience it? As you think through that, were you convicted at all? Was there anything in this teaching there that convicted you? Conviction should lead to correction. And correction, obviously, is done through confession and repentance. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God always, every single time, requires a response from those who sit under it. Said another way, you have a responsibility. I like that word. How about respond ability? Respond ability. Think of it that way. The response to the gospel, I mean the gospel, the real gospel, the true gospel, the gospel that says that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that he went to a cross, he was slaughtered for our sins, he paid the sin price. The, whole, the full wrath of a holy God came down on Jesus. And on that cross, 
he was communing our death sentence for those who'd repent and believe the gospel, that gospel. That's a big deal. And to know that not only did Jesus take our sins upon himself, that he made a way when there was no way for those who repent and place their trust in him. As he died three days later, he was resurrected, proving that he was God, that he defeated sin, he defeated death, he, he finished the job. But the gospel is going to lead to one or two uh, things. It's going to lead to you changing your heart. Even if you're in Christ, it's going to lead to you changing your heart or it's going to lead to you hardening your heart. I pray it's that you would have your heart changed on this day. Jesus is calling us to love. I mean real love, not a fake love. A love that's so powerful that it attacks hatred like light attacks the darkness. According to this text, that we are to grow in love. A love grows as we take more and more steps towards obedience. We do so by loving the people in the church. We love people outside the church. And to love the way that he's calling us to love our Lord is a costly you're going to pay a price for this type of love if you choose to obey God's word this morning. To love, to love someone deeply is to, love, is to get in people's lives, and people's lives are messy. It's hard work. C.S. Lewis said this very beautifully. He said, the only, way to the only way to be sure not to have your heart broken is to never, to, is to never give it to anyone. Today, it's my prayer that your heart would be tender, softened, as you engage in, with those in the Lakeshore family and also with those in the world, that you would have real conversations where the masks come off. I pray that the keyboard vigilantes that, that are in the church, they would take their hands off the keyboard. And instead of putting their hands on the keyboard, these keyboard vigilantes, they would take the hands off the keyboard and instead put their hands onto the shoulders or into the hands with their brothers and sisters or those outside the church. I pray that today is the day where we start listening to one another. I mean, really listening. I'm always reminded of the book of Job. You know, his friends, they, they didn't blow it until they started talking. You remember that? They didn't blow it until they started talking. I think it's time for the church to start listening. I think no more finishing each other's sentences. No more, yeah, but. No more counter talk. But more of this, I hear you. I see you. Please keep talking. Would you please help me to understand? I don't see it that way. Would you help me to understand how you came to that conclusion? Because we can do that even in troubled times. And that's what God would have for us. Love the church. Love the world. Remember, it wasn't nails that kept Jesus on that tree. It was love that kept Jesus on that tree, on that cross. And he's calling us to do likewise. This week, find people to love. Have those real conversations. Have that conversation with a person that doesn't look like you or vote like you. Say things like, how are you? Find a police officer. Thank them for their service. 
Tell them you're praying for them. Find a police officer's spouse and do something nice for them. Pray for them. The gospel is beautiful. The gospel is rich. Share the gospel with other people because that's the hope. That's real hope. And that's what we need. I'll close with this. George Whitfield obviously was persecuted as he proclaimed the good news of the gospel. He says this, I was honored today. Remember, he's out there sharing the gospel. I was honored today with having a few stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and pieces of dead cats thrown at me today. He was persecuted. But love kept George Whitfield to keep on keeping on, even when it's hard, because love is worth it. He understands love. And you can't love like this unless you understand love. And you understand it when you're saved and redeemed. It changes your heart. It changes what we do. It changes how we live. It changes everything. I love you, church. God bless you.